Crack, Episode 2. I'm Jonathan Landreth. I'm John Anderson. John Anderson kicked my ass with Red Deck Wins. Well, it is called Red Deck Wins. Yeah, but it doesn't win. <laughs> and <laughs> no, that's... I, I, I think we proved that it does win at least two-thirds of the time. All right, let me let me uh, let me send you this link so we're both looking at the same page here. They get to the point that I was going to make before. I'm like, we have to record. Okay. All right, go there. I'm going there. All right. Red Deck wins. Only had one first place finish. At you know what States. that means? It only had one good player. <laughs> out, of, out of the 27 people who played it. Correct. One person designed the deck. Twenty-six people copied it. <laughs> well, I'm surprised that good player wasn't you, because you seem to handle it pretty well. As we learned last week, I took green to states. <laughs> and oh, side note, I'm just looking here, and the red deck wins deck list. Let me grab my other link. Uh, the deck we were playing was. Designed by Brian Sue, I'm probably butchering that name, S-I-U. Uh, first place winner from New Hampshire. So, yeah, I would have stamped my statement. He designed it and took first place with it. It's New Hampshire, though. That's chowd territory. <laughs> I don't know if you could really trust that. Now, David Russo from New York. Uh, there's a guy I could believe... Uh, could pilot a deck. Like, the you know, people from uh, New Hampshire are probably calling it, like, piloting the deck or something. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. They, which reminds me, I read an article on CNN today that I thought was right up your alley. It was about, uh, did you hear about the controversy up at Yale, I believe it was? No. One of the fraternities had a YouTube video or some shit like that that was leaked that... They all their pledges were doing this chant that said, um, "No means yes, and yes means anal." Hmm, I could get behind that fraternity. Yeah, so apparently Did they I... had touche, <laughs> touche. <laughs> so that was the big news, and the talk about Chatter Country brought that back to. Anyway, now, neither neither. Now, yeah, now that I'm looking at this metagame breakdown. Uh, which you can find on StarCityGames.com. Blue-Black Control. Nine people played this deck, and it had five first-place finishes. What is this? I want to see this deck. Are you pulling this up? I'm taking a look. Let's let's look at uh, Nicholas Spagnolo's list here. Uh, He took first place. In New York, and let's see what we got here. Uh, we got some Frost Titans, a single Grave Titan, Trinket Mage, uh, Elixir of Immortality main deck. That's actually slightly interesting. What do you think about that? The Well, it works well with the Trinket Mage, of which he's sporting three of. Which is interesting because he's only sporting four artifacts. One Brutal Effigy, one Elixir, two Overflowing Chalice. And so 
I guess in a pinch, the three trinket mages could keep fishing out the um, elixir of immortality. That's true. Well, no, never mind. It, it it's just tap. Oh, I thought it was tap sack. That would make more sense. Um, but seeing it's just tap. Oh wait, now it is. Shuffle it into your library. I can't read today. Yeah. Yeah, it goes. It goes back into the library. So yeah, yeah, so I guess that, right. that does work with the trinket mage. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, Brill Elfergy gets exiled uh, as well. Correct. That would be awesome. Does he have more than the sideboard? No. Trinket Mage can get Nile's Spellbomb out of the sideboard. But that's it. Hmm. Ah, just uh, Elixir of Immortality just has not struck me as a card that would make a standard deck. Or take first place at States. It'd be interesting to see um, how often he actually played it. He's got a Memoricide main deck, which I think is weird. Why? Memoricide's a decent card. Uh, for those who don't know, Memoricide costs three and a black. It's from Scars of Meriden. It's rare. It's a sorcery. Name an online card, search target player's graveyard hand and library for any number of cards with that name, and exile them. And that player shuffles his or her library. It makes sense, going into states, in retrospect. What was the big deck right before states? Valakut. I will play Memerside and side out Valakut. I will play Memerside and side out Titan. Well, you, yeah, you can't do Valakut because it says non-land. Oh, card. non-land, yeah. I'll you get rid of your Titans and... Call it a day. Hmm. Yeah, I guess when you know the when you know the meta going in, you can easily pick a target. I always think of it as in terms of you know going into a tournament, you wait till game two to bring in targeted something like that. Right, and on top of that, looking at the statistics, Valka was the second most popular card or deck. So you just always pick Valka. Well, unless unless you're playing against blue white control, in which case you like you pick. You have a you know laundry list of things to choose at that point. No, there's only one thing to choose. Jace the mind sculptor. <laughs> <laughs> then you get to play yours uh, for free because uh, his uh, he's running a, a complete playset of Jace the mind sculptor in this deck. He must really like Jace. He must really like spending a lot of money. Damn him. Damn you, Nick Spagnolo. He probably had foils. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, this deck, because there's just a lot of one-ofs and two-ofs. I, I don't normally play like that. Do you build decks like that? With one, one-ofs and two-ofs? No, usually I'm a three-and-four-of type guy. Yeah, me too. Unless I have a good fetch mechanism. If I have some good fetching, then I'll probably drop down to one or two. I guess he does. He runs a yeah. package of preordain, which can yeah. easily help him fish out things. Obviously, which, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yeah. By the way, Nicholas Spagnolo, if you're listening to this and you want to come on and talk to us about your deck, feel free. Get a hold of us. I want to know all about his deck. <laughs> In fact, he should send me pictures of his deck. <laughs> it's, it's better than looking at the uh, ones that they have online. Yeah, it's, you know, 
It's more exciting, really. There you go. It's more stimulating. Better when you know the person. I like this figure in this deck. Especially since I just played Red Deck Wins. And I really <laughs> would have liked some Disfigures. Disfigures a good card. And I'm surprised he's only sporting one in there. Yeah, me too. But aside from that, back to the Red Deck Wins. Well, he's got he's got two in the board, so I I suppose in against certain matchups he would take maybe uh, he would board out some Doom Blade for some Disfigure. True. Which it's slightly odd that he's sporting four main deck Jace Mind Sculptors, two main deck Jace Bellerin, and a sideboard Jace Bellerin. Uh, well, he would bring in the Jace Bellerin uh, against Blue White Control because. Uh, people don't actually want to play Jace Bellerin. They want to kill people's Jace the Mind Sculptor with Jace Bellerin. Correct. But, I don't know, having two and four? Well, I guess having one extra ups your chances. Yeah, you you bring it in when you know you got to kill a big Jace with a little Jace. Yeah. But, that's interesting. Right, we're supposed to be talking about Red Deck Wins, but this <laughs> deck fascinating. I'm... I'm a big blue-black control fan, so yeah. knowing that it's actually a deck now. that Well, it's always been a deck. The question is whether it's been viable. Well, it's, it seems like a viable deck. For for only nine people to, to use the deck, and it averages a finish of uh, second place, that's, no, that's not bad. That's, that's statistics. You can't trust statistics. I base my entire life around statistics. I'm looking at one here that says Metal Red. Its average fishing place was first. Does that mean that's the best one? Yes. <laughs> According to statistics, it definitely was. Uh, yeah, but how many people played it? One. Well, th- I mean, there you go. But like, but this had, had nine different people playing it, and five of those nine people went on to win. Correct. It's a solid, It looks like a solid deck, so... I mean, you can't say that about any of the big big meta metagame decks. I mean, Blue-White Control had 62 people to take it, and only four people got first place. Valakut Ramp, only six out of 55. I don't think Valakut's that strong of a deck. And I'll yeah, stand by you, that. I know, you're hating on the Valakut, man. I'm not hating on the Valakut, I just don't think it's that strong of a deck. Well, not against Red Deck Wins. Or against... Um, well, yeah, it's it's decent against blue-white control. I, th- I think it's very good against blue-white control. I'll stick by that. Okay. Um, but, uh, and red deck wins is not very strong against blue-white control. Correct. So, once again, it looks like we're back at the rock-paper-scissors we were talking about last week. Yeah, but the rock-paper-scissors only works when there's three decks to talk about. This is... This is crazy. Like, I mean, I mean, once you get past, I mean, there's a lot of rogue decks on this list, especially the further down you go. Like, one person brought like Turbo Wave. I don't know what Turbo Wave does. I assume it generates a lot of mana. Yeah, I'm assuming Genesis Wave. Yeah, and that uses Genesis Wave. Uh, There's a mono blue proliferate deck, things like that. But when you get to stuff that is actually going to be the stuff you're going to be facing at tournaments, which are, you know, the ones that everyone's talking about, the ones that everyone's seeing. I mean, 
I mean, I, I put Red Deck wins as the fourth deck in the metagame, but Elf Aggro had only five less people playing it, and it had more first-place finishes. Correct. This Elf Aggro deck. The Turbo Wave deck actually doesn't look that interesting. Maybe not to you. You're really hurting somebody's feelings, though. I'm sorry, Travis Wu of Washington. <laughs> Which, you got got fourth place at uh, States. That's better than I did, so I'm not going to knock you for it. Yeah, you're just upset with him because he had rares in his deck. Yep, I, um, I did not support any rares at States. I, I want to see this mono-black control list. Let's see the second place... Finish from Saul Asaluf or Asaluf. <laughs> Asalufa. Is this episode going away from Red Deck and more to us looking at random decks from states? Yeah, it really is. I want to think about the deck that just beat my face in. <laughs> no, I I like I like that Red Deck wins list. Uh, I especially like uh, the addition uh, as opposed to the deck that we played with previously the addition of those Zektar Shrine expeditions? Yes. Holy crap. Zektar Shrine plus plated Geopedes equals beat down. Oh man, the, the one game you got you got off two of those at the same time so they both, you've got two yep. hasty 7-1 trample beaters coming in on me. I'm like oh, Like I had to chump block with a Primeval Titan just to die. <laughs> Yeah, the best answer for Primeval Titan is to make it block right away. Mono black control. I don't know if it'll ever be viable. And I don't like Abyssal Persecutor. Why not? Uh, his drawback is pretty severe if you can't get rid of him. You know what he does, right? Uh, I'm just looking it up. I was busy looking at a different deck. Uh, he's a mythic from World Wake. He oh, yep. Costs that two... Yeah, two black black creature demon. He's a six six with flying and trample, which is awesome for black, especially for only four mana. But you can't win the game, and your opponents can't lose the game. Whatever, they have two brittle effigies mainboarded. Yeah, you got brittle effigy, your own abyssal pierce persecutor. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It seems clunky to me. There's a gatekeeper of Malakar in there. Oh, there's four. Sorry, there's four Gatekeeper Malakirs. So, uh, that's perfectly fine. That's one way to get rid of the uh, Persecutor. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you get your opponent under, underneath where they need to be. It's the same thing, like, it's the reason why I hate Platinum Angel. Um, consuming Vapors, also pretty, pretty solid. Okay, alright. I'll give it to you he, this time. He has plenty of ways to get rid of the Persecutor. I mean, I would definitely play that in that, you know, with as many outs as he has for getting rid of it. Yeah. The only downside is that uh, Dark Ritual is no longer in Type 2. Oh, for some reason, like, I'm, I'm looking for Dark Ritual on this list. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, if there was a Dark Ritual, it would go, some, well, you know, it'd be limited. So it'd be something like Swamp... Lotus Petal, Dark Ritual, a Bristle Persecutor, turn one. Don't bring any of your crazy shenanigans to this. 
this podcast. Well, we don't want to talk about turn one plays like that. Talk about turn six plays like that. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I mean, what do you think? Like with standard the way it is, it's got to be a lot different from when you were playing. Like, how do you how do you actually prepare for this sort of metagame? How do I personally prepare? Well, I mean, you know, how should how should the people out there prepare for this sort of metagame, in your opinion? In my opinion? Well, you know, first of all, knowledge is power. Take a look at what's common, which is what we've been doing, you know, and find out what you're more than likely going to be playing against. It also involves going to your local FNMs, you know, for a couple weeks leading up to it, see what people are playing, get a chance to play test, uh, various things like that. And then you try to find, out of the major rock-paper-scissors matchup, what you can easily beat all of them. And usually it's been my experience that typically, in a with a metagame like this, which is slow, sort of in that turn, what did you say, turn 5 through 8? Is our yeah. in the current, current metagame? You want something that can kill them by turn 4. But the problem with that is it's not going to happen, you know. the If there's a deck that good... It would probably, you know, already be out. So, which is why I typically stick to green and red. Give me enough oomph to get the speed going and at least get a good good threat rolling. But as we've seen in the past, I usually hit a roadblock when it comes to, to control decks on that. Right. Just like uh, earlier tonight, red deck wins cannot handle blue Blue white control, and I think if you were playing a fast a fast green deck, it would be a similar effect. Correct. I think in this given given environment, that red deck wins is actually better than a good green stompy deck. It just seems faster. You know, it has less mana. Well, it has no mana, mana acceleration, but it just seems a, like a faster aggro deck. On a similar uh, note, green. The highest played color in in states thirty eight point seven eight percent of the field. Green, green, green's probably one of the easiest colors to play. Well, I think it just has uh, a lot of good cards that people are excited about using right now that don't involve because. It's really hard to be like, I think I'm going to play blue. Do you have Jace the Mind Sculptor? <laughs> no, you should play green. How many, <laughs> how many good, well, how many green decks don't involve um, the Green Titan? What's the point in that? Does the Elf deck use the Green Titan? Let's see. Yes, it does. It does. The, the uh, Primeval Titan's a staple, I believe, in a most every green deck, as it should be. It's a six-six trampler for six with a good ability. Ooh. Same with Avenger of Zendikar. Brian Boss's first place deck from Missouri. Did not play Primeval Titan. Good for you, Brian Boss. I think it's because, actually, in Missouri, they don't have Primeval Titan. <laughs> it takes, um, you know, five days to get to the store by horse. <laughs> yeah, that, no. Um, no Let's guys, go from the guy in South Dakota. <laughs> and the guy in Alabama? Yeah, it does take me five days to get to the store <laughs> by horse, but Missouri is so much more advanced. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've I've only been through Missouri. I haven't spent a whole lot of time there. So, uh, if 
don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit narrow-minded with my deck design, but it bothers me that the elf Just deck Just your deck has, design? Yeah. <laughs> it, it bothers me that the elf deck has creatures in it that aren't elves. Does that bother you? It bothers me immensely. It bothers me that it has Jiraga tree speakers in it. Yeah, you have a you have a thing against Draga Tree Speaker. Maybe it's just because I'm you know old and crotchety, but really it's they're not Lanwar elves, and I don't think they're as good as Lanwar elves. If you want a one mana elf drop, play with Lanwar elves. Yeah, but the deck does play with Lanwar elves, and it plays with Draga Tree Speaker. Does it play with Arbor elves? Uh, it does. Okay, if you're playing with Landwars and you're playing with Arbors, they can go ahead and put in Jiragas, unless you want to play with um, Elvish Archdruids. Does it run those also? Elvish Archdruid... No Elvish Archdruid. Oh, nice! No, it does. Okay, seeing they're running the other three elves, by all means, put in Jiraga Tree Speakers. At that point, Definitely. But if you're running Jiragas instead of any of the other three, I think that might be a problem. The uh, the creatures in this in this deck, main deck, four Arbor Elf, four Elvish Archdruid, four Fauna Shaman, four Jiraga Tree Speaker, four Lanawar Elves, three Nisus Chosen. Okay, I can fully get behind this deck. And four Azuri, Renegade Leader. Right. Is it, um, does it have Genesis Wave? It has two Genesis Wave. Okay. Does it have... A bird of paradise and a fireball. <laughs> no, it does not have those things. And why not? <laughs> this thing, this thing is mono green stompy. It just that seems to be what it does. Uh, it's got uh, for planeswalkers three Garrick Wildspeaker, three Nisa Ravane, and uh, it has three Eldrazi monuments. I think seeing fireballs back in standard. I need to make a good green-red fireball elf deck and try to win a tournament with it. Yeah, but, like, my whole thing with that, though, is that you're going to all this effort to get all these elves on the board, and you're just going to waste it by fireballing someone to the face? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) why not? You get the check mark in the W column. It's like, you know... Like, you play... who sees that coming? They're just like... Well, pretty why? much. <laughs> well, like, why with the fireball? Wait, who sees that coming? I'd say anyone that's played a game with me when I'm playing elves in the last ten years. But aside from that, you know, it should be... Um... I just think fireball needs to be used more. So you five people in South Dakota who've been playing Magic with John Anderson for the last ten <laughs> years... You know, I'm trying to think, and I, I think it, I think I do have about a five or six five or six person play group up here. We have a pretty a pretty good magic community up here uh, with with the local store, but um, yeah, uh, with my lack of Friday night magic, I sort of fell out of the community on a whole. All right, so let's get back to red deck wins. Back to red deck wins needs more fireballs. <laughs> Does red deck wins play any fireballs? No, it does not. That really because bothers you about the fireballs. No, it doesn't. Red Deck Winds does not need fireballs. Its mana curve is right on par. Let me bring the deck list back up again. Okay, its mana curve is what I like to see in a fast aggro deck. It's all one and two casting costs, essentially. There's a little 
couple cards for three, like um, Mark of Mutiny, and I think just and a couple ones that have kickers. But that's really about it. So all your excess mana is going into casting, burn spells casting, and buffing your Tar- Targon Dragonlords. Um, I like how cheap this is to uh, to put together. Like just looking at the cards and what what they would cost, it yeah. seems like this is a very cheap deck to put together. It looks like the, looking at it off the top of my head, the Dragon Lords are the only Mythics in it. Uh, the only thing that bothers me, the sideboard, four Koth of the Hammer in the sideboard. Why? Um, well, we, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, in my opinion. The best reason to have Koth in there is for when you play Valakut, because the popular Valakut list also sported Koth. So you get yours out faster, Koth block the other guy, call it a day. Let's see, Kargan Dragonlord. Which, in my opinion, he should have mainboarded for. Kargan Dragonlord, 15 bucks a pop. Yep. I don't know how recent that is. He might have been cheaper before this, but... Right. I mean, aside from that, it looks like it's a majority of commons and uncommons, with the exception of Goblin Guide. Yeah, so you're... I mean, the the land, the mana base... Uh, oh, the, yeah. Yep, the, sa- yep. the sack lands run 10 to 11 bucks a piece. Right. But So you're looking at under $200 for this deck. Which is huge. That's that's cheap. That's as cheap as it gets. <laughs> Pretty much. And you, in reality, you could do without the four Koth. Yeah, it just seemed like, I mean, you played against you played me against like the main decks that uh, that people are going to see at a tournament. What they're going to be preparing their sideboard for, and you didn't have to sideboard Koth against me in any of the games. Correct. I can see why, though. Primarily, in retrospect, against blue-white control. You think that would have made a difference? No, but it gives you an extra out. I mean, you need every out you can against, you know, control. I mean, you drop Koth on turn four. By turn six, um, all your um, all your mountains become Tim's. Tom's. Tim's. Toms. Tims. They're Toms now. Uh, no, they're not Toms. They're Tims. Yes, they're Toms. Because Tim doesn't exist anymore. Now there's Tim. only Tom. Now, see, Tim is a generic term. While it started applying to the original Prodigal Sorcerer, over time, it eventually, you know, came down to apply to any ability that mimics that. Hence the phrase, I will Tim you for one, or I will Tim you for five. No, that's called pinging now, and... And Tom is the prodigal pyromancer. Pyromancer? Yeah, if okay. I can say it. Because <laughs> he's in red now, as of Planar Chaos. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. Which is great, because I love playing blue-red Tim decks. It's like, I'll play with 20 of them, whatever. <laughs> Do you also run that, uh, the, uh... What was that blue spell? Which one? Because there's did, a lot of them. It did. It did four to your opponent, two to you. No. In a Tim deck? Yeah. No. Why? Why not just break the color pie completely in half? 
Well, no, no, you go with your full spectrum of Tims, which there's, oh, I don't know, four or five in blue. And then you go with the red ones, which now there's two of them. Um, throw in some Superman cloaks. And, yeah, call it good. Maybe what, some lightning bolts. What is a Superman cloak? You know, it's funny. I don't actually remember the actual name of the card. It involves the ability, it's an enchantment that lets you untap things. Um, it's based around Morphling, I believe. Um, are you familiar with Morphling? Or is that too old for you? Uh, there was something like that in oh. Planar Chaos. <laughs> Morphling, yeah. Morphling's out of Versus Saga. It had the nickname of Superman. Its abilities were, I'll just bring it up here for you. Um, it was two blue, three colorless. It was a 3-3. Three, three. One blue, you could untap it. One blue, it gained flying. One blue, it gets shroud. One colorless, it gets plus one, minus one. One colorless, it gets minus one, plus one. And so, the, based on that, there was an enchantment. Um, or you could just go with Freed from the Real. Which also does the same thing. Maybe Freed from the Real was what I was thinking about. You know what Regardless. you got you know to put in that deck? What did you put in that deck? Basilisk Collar. Yeah, Basilisk Collar is very good. Or you could also go with um, Grafted Exoskeleton. Uh, Basilisk Collar, much, much cheaper. Correct. But it's not a competitive... And you're, play, you're, playing, you're playing blue, you can Trinket Mage it out. Correct. Anyway, neither here nor there, back to red. Yeah, yeah back, <laughs> back to red deck wins. All right. Uh, you got to play in several games uh, wielding red deck wins. I was the opposition this week. Uh, overall, thoughts on the deck, improvements you would make, and I know we've covered some of it just in just in chatting, but uh, right. you know, so, um, summarize your key points uh, of red deck wins. Red deck wins. The key parts, uh, which this deck will be linked to in the show notes, it's, like I said, a very quick mana curve. And it's quite about just pounding out your opponent before they know what they're, what's going on. Um, one thing I, you know, liked about it was it was running, I don't know, 10, 14 um, non-basic lands. I think 12 of those were the sack lands. So that's very good because that puts you in good position for the uh, Plated Geopede and the Zex... Shrine Expedition. So I usually was able to drop a Zektar on turn 2 or 3, then by turn 4 or 5, drop out a the Zektar for the Elemental, which, when you have that plus 1 plated Geopede on the board, you know, that's, that's money. Um, on top of it, the 4 Assault Strobes and 3 Panic Spell Bombs are very nice, quick drops. Uh, spell bombs help you guys get through, and the assault strobe. If you have like an assault strobe, and you can pop a expedition for that elemental, you know that's fourteen. Well, it's a seven something. So what's it? Seven one? Yeah, it's a seven one trampling, uh, hasted double strike creature, which that's just hard to deal with, especially if it's before turn five. Um, it, it had its fair amount of you know instant speed, uh, burn. The only th- di- thing I would probably do differently 
and I ended up doing this quite a bit in sideboarding, boarding, was I would take out the two... It's running three Searing Blazes. Um, when I would sideboard, I'd usually take two of those out and put in two Cargan Dragonlords, so I was main decking four. Um, Cargan Dragonlord is, especially in this deck, very, very good. You know, you can drop it on turn two, and then with the... It's only a one mana for level up, so you'll quickly be leveling it up with your spare mana that you have. And it wasn't uncommon by turn you know, four or five, it'd be, you know, a four-four flyer. And then very quickly thereafter, it'd be a... Well, actually, I never actually got it up to eight-eight, because the game was usually over by then. So the ability to get those out quickly, very, very good. And it main decks two Mark of Mutinies, which is priceless against green, really. The number of times... Yeah, Mark of Mutiny was very, very, very annoying. Yes. And the other nice play I noted with this is Mark of Mutiny works really well in conjunction with Kiln Fiend. If if you've already killed off all your opponent's creatures and you just want that extra damage, you can obviously Mark of Mutiny your own Kiln Fiend. Then it gets the plus one, plus one from the Mark of Mutiny... And the plus three plus zero oh from the Kiln Fiend, making it a three four five five three, you know, beast. So all in all, you have a lot of outs with this deck. A lot of good outs. It's very fast, and unless it can be forced to gas out quickly, which is what happened against Blue White Control, it's probably going to run the table on you. What do you think about uh, Assault Strobe? Assault Strobe, I. That's one of my favorite red cards. Yeah, it's a it's a card that in uh, in limited. I know a lot of the set reviews I heard when people were talking about limited. Uh, I think the limited resources guys in particular uh, gave assault strobe two thumbs down. But I think it's got a lot of potential. It has a lot of potential. The only thing that I that gives me pause about it is that it's sorcery, not an instant. Yeah, but if it was instant, it'd be way too good. Or it would cost, like, four. Correct. But on on the flip side, I mean, the fact that it's a sorcery doesn't make that much of a difference. You play it up for combat, Kiln Fiend gets plus three, plus O, oh, and now it's a 4-2 double striker. Yeah, that's it. Or when your Cargan Dragonlord is already a 4-4 flyer. Right, which you were on the receiving end of that a few times earlier. Yeah. It's uh, or even like the plated geopede. I mean, all it takes is one sackland to get him up to a five-five first striker. You go ahead right. and give him do- double strike. It's that's another good thing with this deck is it's running, you know, fourteen main deck creatures, four goblin guides, two dragon lords, four kiln fiends, and four geopedes, and they're all cheap and they all don't take that much effort to buff up. Yeah, I mean, playing against it. This deck just seems very solid. Like I, yeah, the only thing I would be very tempted to add would be fling. Oh, I thought you were gonna say four fogs. No, um, <laughs> I'd be I would be tempted to put some in the sideboard, and primarily against blue white, because when you're playing or any sort of control deck, when you're playing against something that w- will consistently get rid of your creatures it's not a bad idea to 
you know, swinging for five with your Geopede. If you can get it Assault Strobed, that's great. And then if you can fling it at the end of the turn for the extra damage, why not? Mm, I don't know. Fling seems too kitchen table for me. Seems like a kitchen table move, sir. Why? I don't know. It just it's fling. <laughs> it's not it's not top tier talent. No, fling does not seem top tier talent to me. Well, that's why people don't expect it. I mean, fling, it, which to to back up fling here, you know, it a it's an instant speed. B it's only two mana. Yeah, but it's taking so. up slots in your deck. What do you take out for the flings? Uh, well, let's see here. Against, well, to keep with my thought here, if, it, if there was something on the sideboard and I was playing against Control, I would mm-hmm. probably take out um, Searing Blaze. Okay. Well, fair enough. Which, Searing Blaze was my go-to takeout card every time I sideboarded tonight. It's a good card, but the I was always sideboarding in either more Dragon Lords or uh, Mark of Mutinies when you were playing green. So, if I was to make any just upfront changes to this, is I would put in more main deck Dragon Lords and remove the two of the three Searing Blazes. Now, one, one of the things that I... I thought was a janky-ass card, but ended up being very, very good in this deck. Surprisingly good. Panic Spellbomb. Panic Spellbomb is doubled with, um, I believe, Teetering Peaks? No. Smoldering Spires. Smoldering Spires, correct. Um, Coupled with Smoldering Spires. Really, it's needed in this kind of environment. When you have cards like Wall of Omens, which is one of the cards I absolutely despise in the standard environment. Um, oh, I, lo- I love me a Wall of Omens. Wall of Omens is a very good card. It's you know it's cheap, it's white, and it's card drawing. So, but when when you have decks that are sporting Wall of Omens and Overgrown Battlements, you need or any creature for that matter, any early drop, you would rather have them take the hit to the face than chump block and not take the damage. Because any creature that they have out early that you don't want to deal with, you can just burn. And the three three panic spell bombs and the um, smoldering spires, that's one less burn spell you have to waste against that creature. That's one more burn spell you have in your hand to... Lightning bolt your opponent once you if you get him down to three life, which you did very very often. Yeah, that that seemed to be your your wing condition is you would do just enough damage to burn me out with a spell like very and, very little early burn spells. Well, and almost every game first turn panic spell bomb. Yes, which is uh, just a beast to play around because you essentially have to on my side I had to play two creatures just to handle your one because I knew if I only put one out there, it's just Panic Spellbombed. And, worst case scenario, Panic Spellbomb still pay an extra red mana, draw a card. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but that's one of the weaknesses it had against uh, Blue-White Control was that 
I was able to play a lot of cheap things out uh, to compensate for Panic Spellbomb. Like you, I knew you had a Panic Spellbomb, so playing two Wall of Omens is not that difficult. Correct. Um, and Blue Eye Control, I it'd be interesting to see a wider statistic on that matchup because the when we play that it just didn't feel like the deck was rolling as smoothly. And granted, you were doing Blue Eye Control was doing a lot to answer every threat I put down. And then after Day of Judgment, um, the red deck pretty much gassed out. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have an opportunity next week because uh, I want to take a look at Blue White Control next. Okay. So, um, on to some magic news. Uh, announced, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 19th. So, Wizards today announced uh, that they're changing up their draft formats. Uh I th- I say considerably. John Anderson disagrees. Uh, I can see what change it'll have. I don't know if it'll be that big of a change. All right. Uh, the change going down is that they're going to change the pack order in booster drafts. Uh, this will start with the release of Mirrored and Besieged. And uh, all of us who have been drafting since the beginning of time... Uh, when, Which is everyone except for you, apparently. Yeah, everyone except for me. Uh, when a uh, small set comes out, you add a draft, you get two packs of the main set and one pack of the small set, and it goes in that order. So the small set's the last pack you open. You're looking just to fill holes in your deck. A lot of times with the small set, there'll be certain cards, depending on your strategy, that you're just looking to get in that one pack. You know, you're not going to see a whole lot of the small set, so you know, you're just looking to uh to get the key components uh that you need. But if you don't, you still have a solid deck design. Uh they're changing up now where you will open the uh the small set pack first and then the two packs of the uh of the main set. Uh, and this is going to completely change strategy. Like, uh, it's going to, uh, I, like, say what you will, like, I, I feel that it's going to create a different limited environment, uh, come mirrored and besieged. Yes. It, well, as you said, you know, you're, when, when you're drafting, you'll decide essentially what you're playing off of that, off the first pack. And so by having the smaller set be the first pack, I think it'll make limited that, I don't want to say that much more limited, but it'll narrow the scope slightly of what people are going to be playing. Which, I would say for an experienced drafter, is a good thing. Yeah, I think it'll definitely make it more exciting to draft when the new sets come out. Well, not even that. If it's a smaller scope of what the potential archetypes are, then you know essentially what you have to do in order to beat them. Yeah, but I wonder, couldn't you just uh, build in reverse, essentially, where you're not really worried about the first pack, and you're just still planning on building around the the two packs that follow? 
Um, I, no, you could. I don't know how well it would work out. Well, yeah, because you're already sending signals. Well, you're already sending signals, and you're getting your cards, and if you're color committed and then you decide later on your strategy after you're color committed, you know, like, it's... By the time you're done with your first pack, you should probably have your strategy eyed out already. Now, here's here's a thought uh, that I had while I was reading uh, this announcement. I think it would have been more of a shake-up for Limited, and I would have been pretty excited if they had said, not only are you opening the small set first, but it's actually two set, two packs of the small set and one pack of the main one. That actually, I think, would have been a, a good change also. Yeah, because, people, I mean, one of the people things... People like playing with the new cards. Yeah, one, one of the things with the new... When small sets come out is you don't get to see a whole lot of them in, in draft or sealed because you're getting less product. Correct. Um, and it, it also makes uh, drafting from a collector's standpoint uh, less valuable for you. You shouldn't draft from a collector's standpoint. I, al- I always draft from a collector's standpoint. Uh, all that does is piss off everybody at the table. I'm not saying rare draft. All I'm saying is like, you know, like, all right, like sometimes I have been guilty of completely staying away from a color because I drafted it heavily the last draft. So I know that I'll be able to fill in uh, parts of my collection that are missing if I go into this other color scheme. Well, that's different, actually. That's still not as bad as just rare drafting. I mean, at least you still have a strategy. You're just excluding. Oh yeah, one, I'm, I'm still color. trying to. Yeah, I'm still trying to win. But say, say I dra- say I sit down to draft and I draft uh, green red very heavily. You know, the next draft I'm going. My thought, even if I win with green red, is my thought sitting down is like, you know, I'm going to be thinking about blue, white, and black. So when I'm looking for that first pick card in my first pack. I'm going to be I'm going to value those colors heavier. So I'm going to be looking for the bomb in those colors. I might actually go one step further and say that probably helps you as a drafter. For no other reason than you're not getting comfortable in one draft archetype. Yeah, that eventually happens though as soon as you figure out what the best draft archetype is. <laughs> true. I I mean I I mean I don't know about scars and you know I'm just getting back into drafting so I've only really heavily drafted one set. But there is no doubt in my mind, when you're drafting M11, if you're in blue-white, your odds of winning are so much higher. <laughs> blue-white blue white was just the way to go. You had card advantage, you had good removal, I, and just the tempo swings were amazing with, uh, with the amount of unsummons and Aether Adepts you could get. And then your big beaters were actually uh, Azur Drakes. And things like that, and that's that's without like that's without opening a white or blue rare, right? Like that that's with that's without opening up a frost titan or or something that is just like well this is just a game winner if I can get it onto the board. But like you know just drafting the commons and uncommons were just overall better. I mean you I mean even wall of frost 
was an awesome card. <laughs> like it's a zero seven wall that you know if somebody is stupid enough to attack into it, they they don't untap on their you know during their next untap step. Like you know, and then by then I'm bouncing it to their hand anyway. Right. Uh, meanwhile, my creatures are swinging in for lethal. That it just green just couldn't stand up to it. Red was only good if you paired it with some with a color that had good creatures. And black was black, <laughs> and black is just bad right now. So yeah, black will rise again. I hope so. I I you know I like I like black. My girlfriend is. Uh, you know, a black mage through and through. You know, she she went black. She never went back. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I and I really like blue black. Which that's when we were talking about those decks, and I saw that blue black deck with the great fishes. I was like, ooh. Blue black is probably one of my more favorite color combinations to play competitively because it tends to piss people off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, blue-white is one of those, okay, you're being a dick, I'll just sit here and waste an hour of my life while you prevent prevent me from doing anything. Blue-black just seems like you're sticking it to them more. Yes. Uh, and it's got it's got a lot of creature removal on top of right. all of the, uh, you know, the counter spells and things like that. Because when you're playing against blue-white, you're, I mean... Condemned sort of changes things, but Condemned's not so bad. You know, your thought right. when you play against Blue White is like, if I if I can get this to hit the board, I'll be good to go. Correct. With Blue Black, it's like, well, I've got to get past, I've got to get him to tap out, and then I got to hope he doesn't have an answer in his hand for for what I was right. able to sneak in. Pretty much, it's the will I be able to hold this card in my hand long enough to be able to cast it. Yes, yes. Okay, this, so... No one likes to discard. It's not been discarded yet. I'll cast it. Does he have a counterspell? No. Okay, the creature's on the board. Is he going to kill it now? It's a, it's a three-step process. Yeah. It, uh, I mean... I, and that's that's why I love about blue-black, because black's uh, weak link to me is is uh, that it can't... Uh, you know, it, it has trouble with card advantage, unless you want to pay a lot of life. So it, you know, it limits your options there, but when you've got blue in there... I would you, say that that's slightly broad of a statement. A lot of colors have problems with card advantage, including green and red. Yeah, but green's got ramp. To me, that's card advantage. No, that's that's mana advantage. Same thing. No, no, it yeah. isn't. Yeah, it's very much the same thing. And green, uh, green, green can draw cards now sometimes. Yeah, that's that's why Explorer's so good. I'll pay two mana to draw a card. Yeah, and get to play an extra land. Yeah. Well, the, the two mana to draw a card is much better. Well, the, no. You you have to have both effects for it to be a good card. Not when it's in green. <laughs> yes, when it's in green. Because otherwise you've got a dead card in your deck. Basically, you're just looking to replace that card. But if you get an effect and can replace that card, that's what makes it good. Well, all those cards that cost one or two mana have some trivial effect and let, and replace themselves. Yeah, but that's the thing about Explorer. The effect is not trivial. Um, It's trivial enough to be two mana. 
it's the difference between Primeval Titan on you know turn three or turn six. Yeah, assuming you have other ramp, of course. Right. I was like, that math doesn't quite work out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it you know it, it's and it's a way to uh, to ramp out a Primeval Titan that uh, can't be killed on the board. Correct. But uh, all right, I'm gonna guess, John Anderson. What do you want to okay. talk about? Um, I don't know. We're doing doing pretty good. Um, so yeah, my final thoughts on Red Deck wins. It lives up to the name. It's very good, very fast, and very lethal. Um, next week we'll be looking at Blue White Control, which will be helmed by Jonathan Landreth. Correct. Yes, I will be. I, I love me some control, so... And you know what? We should, uh, even though we, we do it on the computer, I'll still say we will sleeve up uh, the blue-black uh, control list, because... Okay. That might, be, that might be what I'm taking to tournaments. Okay. So, so we'll, we'll play um, blue-white control against blue-black control against Valakut Ramp and Red Deck Wins. Yes, I guess we'll. I guess Red Deck wins can play some more. Yeah, we'll give that another. Give we'll give that matchup another try. Um, and my predictions for that are, again, as this week, Blue White Control should beat Red Deck wins. Um, Valica should beat Blue White Control, and I'm gonna go ahead and give the win to Blue Black Control over Blue White Control. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Yeah, and uh, well, this this will also be a chance to test out that Valakut theory because, uh, according to you, uh, I believe you said last week that you thought that Blue White Control would stand a much better chance against Valakut Ramp, except you weren't really sure about the deck. Um, I I'm trying to remember what my what my pairings were last week. Because it was red beats. No, I, I still thought that Valakut would probably beat blue white control. Because it was red red beats Valakut, Valakut beats blue white, blue white beats red. Okay. That was the rock paper scissors of the top three at that point. Hmm. Which, if we're lucky, blue black might be lizard or Spock. <laughs> what? <laughs> it might be Lizard or Spock. Rock, paper, scissors, Lizard, Spock. I have never heard of this. Is this some sort of South Dakota tradition? No, you, I sir, apparently do not watch TV. Oh, you, you're right about that. I don't. Um, which I watch very little of it. But the Big Bang Theory, which I highly recommend to everyone, they had a... Rock, Paper, Scissors, Lizard, Spock. Which, feel free to look that up online and see how that all plays out. Okay. Well, until next time. Tap it once for me. Tap it once for John Anderson. Later, guys. Later.